data is a word that I think instills fear in a lot of nonprofit professionals. We tend to think of our organizations, especially our small organizations, as not really having a lot of data, or we get overwhelmed by collecting data or making meaning from data. And so today we're going to dive into data, but also with an equity lens, because you would be surprised at how important that is as social justice-based organizations or organizations that are working to do good in the world and operate from an anti-oppression framework or from an equity framework. That actually applies to your data too. host, Cindy Wagman, and you're listening to the Small Nonprofit Podcast, where we bring you practical down-to-earth advice on how to get more done for your small organization. You are going to change the world, and we're here to help. So today's guest is Mina Das, and uh, she lives and breathes data. For example, she has a data consulting business called Namaste Data. Uh, She has a virtual school called Data is for Everyone and a newsletter called Data Uncollected. So this is the person to have a conversation with about data. Mina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Cindy. This is so fun. No, I love, you're right. I do breathe data. I do love data. And so having someone to talk to instead of just looking at myself and all things in my head, this is way less crazy, (laughs) way more human. So I love it. So thank you for having me. Amazing. So let's sort of start at the basics with, you know, small nonprofits. We sometimes don't think we have data or certainly we can't make sense of the data that we have. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the kinds of data that organizations might want to, pay, to collect and pay attention to. Well, I want to, can I make it like even more fundamental, that question and take a step back. Every time I start talk, like, you know, doing these conversations, I start with, Okay, you are at your, my, I am at my 8 a.m. right now, joining from Vancouver time. You are at your probably 11. Just within these three, four hours of waking up, we have already had some form of interaction with data. Like I would have my pedometer recording my steps in the morning, my microwave, I have my coffee at a very specific temperature. I have my bread in a very, we already have started to look for data points at different places to make our lives easier, smoother, more efficient. Same goes with the workplace data or nonprofit data. We do have interaction with data already. Some of it already exists, some we have to collect. And often when the question comes, what to do with data, the first thing that comes to mind question is, what else should I collect? But I always pull them back and say, with the word data, don't associate the first question, what else should I collect? But what should I do with what I have right now? Before Mm. you buy new furniture, you first look at your home and see, do I even have the space to get any more furniture? Do I need it? And then you go out and buy a new furniture. So I would say for everybody who's listening, start with the question, what can you do with your data right now? Which I'm sure you and I are going to be talking about in a second. But to the specific response to your question, what data nonprofits should be thinking about in general? Anything, which whatever they are collecting is about the audience, whoever is interacting with their realm. So whether it's their volunteers, whether it's their board members, donors, 
whoever is coming through the community programs, anybody who is interacting with their nonprofit, they, their community, and you can collect data about them in a in an equitable, in a thoughtful, meaningful way, which honors them, not in a way like give me everything about you so we can do something about it <laughs> kind of way, but tell me something about you so I can we can go engage to create change. You you are not just inviting them, but nonprofit themselves are creating that change. So that partnership is that the data about. Amazing. I want to talk about the data we already have, but before we do, I want you to talk about that equity lens, because I think that that is very often, in my limited experience with this, we think that data is neutral and it's not. So talk to me a little bit about why we want to be having these conversations before we even start looking at the data and understanding what we have and what we need to collect. Why do we need to think about equity and inclusion when we're exploring the space? Um, I'm reading a book and I think it's next to my bed. So I, I, I'll send you the name later. But I think in the book, book's name is um, Democracy's Data. And it's about just how democratic census is read and not read and how the silences are read and not read. One of the sentences in the early pages is data is as good as your democracy and democracy is as good as your data. So it's really important to be able to understand what the data is saying and what it is not saying. Sometimes we should, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's intentional, but most often I would say it's not intentional. It's not malicious, but we still end up exclusion or excluding stories and people out of our data. So equity lens is important because especially in the work of nonprofits, especially in the work we do, our work is to create change in the world with the people and for the people. So we need to include those people, everybody whom not just whom we are impacting, but also how can we invite them for that change and data can allow that. And so data can never be neutral. I, I wish it could, but it's not. And it's often weaponized for for different agendas. And that can change once we start becoming more intentional. And and I, I'll be honest, I, I'm doing this for 13 months. I don't have to-do lists. I don't keep checklists because I feel like that struggle, that uneasiness and what is this about data that I can do? I think that's a win enough for me at this point to be just mm. like being shifty and, and, and thinking the mere that I can't go on the way I have been going on up until now with data, that's a win for me right now. And that's what I want people to be aware of with their nonprofit data too. Amazing. Can you give me an example of like where data has, I mean, I'm sure there's many, but like this in action where it's been used to weaponize uh, against either populations or when when it's been mishandled, let's say, or collected in a way that can cause harm? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm trying to think, should I give the example that I'm reading in the book or the one that I came across in my workshop? I'll give the one in my workshop. <laughs> yeah, or both. I mean, I think yeah. that we sometimes forget that yeah. this is like pretty pervasive because data is everywhere, right? It, this is the thing, like it's it's there. So I, yeah, both. I, I would say the the common thread between those examples, let me start there. What's the common thread there? 
most often, then let's talk about the social identity data specifically because that directly concerns um, people's identities and identity is complex, right? It comes with a lot of nuance finance. It has race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, et cetera, et cetera. Most often these questions, when they are designed, they are in checkboxes. They come with like, you know, 15 different checkboxes for four or five different questions for someone who is perfectly who's perfectly able to place themselves in that checkbox, that's good, that's easy, that's almost, um, I hate to say this, but it's normal because, you know, someone fits in the checkbox, that's great. What about the people who do not fit in any of the checkboxes? That is where the issue comes up of exclusion because almost instantly someone feels, you no longer care for me. You, you just want to somehow collect me in your data or maybe to share your funders but what is it about me that you're really interested? I am not fitting in any of the checkboxes. You didn't care to include me in a separate checkbox. The, for example, the other word, I don't want to be an other at the end. Like this mm. is not included. So the design really is, and I'm probably going tangentially to a different topic, but I would say the example I would say is one of the examples would be um, I was in a workshop with a theater organization and their grand team member spoke up and said, um, Mina, we used to collect like majority, three or four different identity people we saw in our pool of artists who would come up and we go to funders for getting funding for those artists. And now we are seeing uh, a lot many different identities. We don't know how to include that in the reports. We don't know how to include mm-hmm. that in the data collection. And we we do want to keep doing a justice system here with those identities, but I don't know how to take that to the funders. What should I do? It's a fair question, but um, that's where we are missing something, right? Like to be able to see that we have more people who do not fit those typical neat little checkboxes, but they want to engage with us. They mm-hmm. They want to work with us. They want to make a change with us. And how can we enable that, I think that's what we are conversing about right now. Yeah. I mean, I just saw my friend uh, post online. She was filling in a form and she literally felt like there were all these, like, tell me about your ethnicity. And there, she posted, she's like, none of these are me. When will I be included? And I think when we're working with populations, oftentimes those surveys or like, that's intake, right? That's mm-hmm oftentimes a very early experience someone has with our organization. So if they're already feeling excluded mm-hmm. in our work that is supposed to support them and help them feel included, we're failing right from the start, mm-hmm. right? Like Absolutely. that's really important. And yeah. I, that's that little gesture of making sure how your design is going out or why what you are doing, stating that out, Without it, I think that you, what you said, like from the start, we are fading somewhere. Any amount of actions after that, it's not going to be repair that damage no. where we hit someone on like, you know, we don't care about your identity. <laughs> yeah. You're not important to us. Yeah, yeah it, it it is. It, it takes, as you said, a lot more work to get back to neutral even. And our work is not to get to neutral. Our work is to change the world. Um, that's such a good example. So let's let's talk about and 
Let's talk about the data we already have, right? As you said, check what furniture you have before Mm -hmm. you start buying new ones or new furniture. Where can we look to what what we have and start to make sense of that so that we're not asking those those servers? Like, how do we stop asking for things that we might already have somewhere? You know, I would say start with the data that we already have. So most often one of the complaints that I have heard in in my conversations with the community is we do ask questions around social identity data, Mina, but we don't get back as many responses. People don't fill those responses to those questions. And so we have it like sporadic. There's somewhere some some of them exist, some don't. And so we can't do anything with it. And I think that little sentence has a lot of things to unpack. So I would suggest to your questions in the First, for the nonprofits who are listening to this, is start with the data that you already have. See what what has happened up until now. You know, take a pen and paper, pencil and paper, and see. Have you asked these questions three times in the past ten years? Okay, how much data did you actually gather? If you can't quantify it very clearly, that's okay. But fine, get to some ballpark number saying I did the survey three times to the same group of people. And I only got maybe like 20% of the responses or 30% of the responses. There, you have now something to say where you are starting from. That's your kind of benchmark where you are starting from. And now you can think of the strategies you can employ to do better. One thing that I would say, which when most nonprofits get discouraged to, to do this kind of activity is I don't hear back responses. Well, this that's because asking questions about social identity is different than asking general questions like, do you, do you, uh, do you volunteer for our program A or do you volunteer program B? Identity is a very personal thing and it takes, like anything in the nonprofit world, it takes trust to build that, asking that question. So yes, we are not going to be getting all the responses back because we are working towards making a change where people have been harmed in this for many, many years through our little actions. And so we are not going to be getting the perfect responses, 100% responses, but trust takes time and it would be one step at a time. So maybe this year we'll get like 20% responses only. Next year we may get 40% responses from the same audience. And that's just where the indicator of the trust metric right there, which is growing up and Mm. people are able to respond to it. So start with the data you have. Yeah, that's so cool. And I just wanted to to like underscore, because you kind of said this at the end, but like even just looking at response rates is data, right? That's information that can tell, that can indicate that there's a, an improved trust. So let's let's talk about like why data, right? Like what data do we need? Because data collection, and I think that this circles back to the like, how do we build trust through data as well? Or how do we build trust in this process is we don't need all the data. Uh, and data is only useful when we start to make sense of it, when it informs our decisions. So what let's, I want to talk about, I mean, we can, I don't really want to talk about donor data because that's a different conversation. I want to talk about our programs and our mission and our impact work and how we can understand data as a tool to measure our efficacy and give us insights around improvement? That's a very good question, because that's where I think the 
equity lens on the data comes up. And most often, so in my workshops, most often the thing comes up is, okay, my title of my workshop is Advancing Equity Through Data. And I focus a lot around data. I'm not an EDI expert. I'm, I'm more of a data person. So the way I interpret this question and my thoughts on that, understanding the title is the relationship between equity and data is a partnership. So when you are thinking about doing better with data, you are not honest. You're not truly thinking about the data. You are trying to thinking, you're thinking about doing good. That's what you are thinking about. So what I mean by that is when you think, what should I do good with data? Think about your values around equity. Don't think about data. Take a step back, pause and think about what are your values around equity? What are your values around inclusion? Where do you stand personally and with your organization or nonprofit on those equity pieces? Once you have that understanding then you can think about what here needs to, to be changed, to be tracked, to be measured from the data. If you start to evaluate an equity lens for the data, we would always be like, you know, miss and hit kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. If we start with the understanding of where our values are with the equity and inclusion lens, we would be much better positioned to push forward data in an equitable way. Mm-hmm. I love that. And what kinds of if someone's just starting out and thinking okay i want i want to improve in this what kind of questions should we be asking ourselves in terms of what data do we collect and and all yeah how do how do we start to sort of like challenge our own assumptions is i guess what i'm asking around this so that we can do it well you know I have been asked this question several times and I respond to it different in different ways, um, in different places. But just this conversation with you right now is giving me a, another way to respond to this question. So I want to use go with that. I often talk about in my written articles and my newsletters is to engage the community, bring your community from the start. So if you are starting right now, any nonprofit is listening to this right now, if you're starting right now and thinking about what questions to, you know, should I think about in doing it in an equitable way, the easiest and the most engaging way would be to invite your community. And when I say invite your community, you could pick a few representations. You could invite them by saying on a, on, a, on your newsletter or on your website saying, I want, a, we are looking for our community would you want to volunteer with us to design a set of questions that we can ask? We need somewhat, and you can then create a little of your own where you have representations from the community, you have representations from your nonprofit, and you have representations from some of the local experts on data, on equity, on DEI, all those. And you have a team right there in front of you people you have access to, people who exist in your community already to help you figure out which are the kind of questions you need to start with right now so you have better story and better handle on what you're collecting. I love that. Um, And it it does go back to like, yeah, what are we trying to learn and evaluate? Now, I'm sure this question has come up before. How do we balance, and you sort of alluded to it at the beginning, which is, Now that we've done the work and we understand what questions we need to be asking from an impact and equity perspective, how do we navigate that with like the questions funders are asking about, you know, how many, 
I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like funders, sometimes there are specific pools of funding for organizations that have like X percentage of their population being racialized or being this, that, or the other. How do we navigate that if those aren't important and if those questions actually are more harmful than not? I'd say definitely. I mean, it, it, it's going to take its own time for, and, sh- and I know some funders are working on it to make sure how they are asking questions and what they're asking, but it's still going to take time. The, the reality is that we have been operating in this way for such a long time now that to change it is going to take some time. I would also recognize many, many efforts. A lot of organizations had been taking even before the pandemic hit. On this, uh, on this DEI lens and on this effort. But how can you balance? That's a good question. How can you balance this? And I'll respond to it saying that let's say I am a nonprofit and I have a few team members. So, and we get to a place where we feel comfortable in, okay, what questions to ask? Now, what is the way I would place it is I would need a part of my team to be implementing those questions and to be implementing that data in a way which is equitable and then mm. presented in a way that the funders understand, yes, but it has an appendix page or it has some, you know, additional things that, you know, this is what we're collecting. This is it. They, that little team, that little um, group of my employees would be the people who are ensuring what we are learning to make data equitable is going out as well. So it's not just the in of this good information, but the out of our system is also equitable, that we are not just taking all the trainings, but we are also reflecting it in our conversations with the funders. That being said, I would also, when you because if the word is about how can you balance, I would also keep a set of my employees as the people who would be responsible for keep learning and bringing new knowledge because mm. learning about equity is not a one-time thing. It's a journey. It's going to be evolving. And so we need people both to run the business and change the business. And so we need that continuous lens of people who can bring that effort. So I would say to balance it, start with a group of employees to implement what you are learning, what you want to bring into equity. Not every question can be changed overnight. Not every report can be changed overnight. And that's okay. Little changes are also wins start there and then keep a group of people engaged to say, hey, keep learning new things and keep bringing it to the team so we all can learn from there. Amazing. I want to talk about collecting the data that we need to collect. And I've heard different things. I mean, we all know surveys. I used to work in... Oh, I had a conversation once with someone. I'm like, did we do this? I'm sure we did this uh, when I worked at a shelter as well. When we did intake, Mm -hmm. you know, it was the staff asking questions and filling in the survey instead of having people like their clients uh, fill in the survey. So there's different ways to collect data. And you also spiked this uh, question for me when you were talking about the slow and trustful collection of data. So like, maybe that's not the first question we ask, maybe it can come later. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about different methodologies or ways that we can collect the data, collect the information in a way that, again, underscores our commitment to equity? I think when it comes to different ways of collecting data, it starts with your audience. That's where the equity part starts. Most often what happens is when we, and I have been in those 
works and on those projects and on those jobs too, where it starts with my comfort. My comfort is doing this kind of a survey or my comfort is this design. So it helps my analysis. But my comfort as the designer is the last priority of the data collection. The priority of that data collection are the people whose data are we collecting? Are the people, is the audience, that community to whom we are going to collect data? So to give you an example, if I am ta- doing a research on homelessness, I cannot do a survey just on an online basis because I, you know, they need to have access to be able to uh, have that data collection in front of them tool and then fill up, fill out that survey. I need to have a different kind of a data collection methodology there so I can collect data, bring it back into the system. Another example would be um, an organization based out of Seattle where we were supporting immigrant women who went through domestic violence and the organization used to collect impact stories for um, how they supported the women. And the way the process used to happen was they would send out letters to physical letters to their houses to see, can you come back with the stories? Can you send back your stories? I think that data collection method was flawed and we changed it because women who went through domestic violence are not in the place uh, after taking uh, taking these services. They do not have physical same stable home addresses where uh, a, a letter could go and they could send back a letter. They also don't feel comfortable, and it's a little bit. I they don't feel comfortable enough to send back the responses in that way. So the data collection method there needed to change to send something on their physical list, which could be temporary for them to say, "Hey, send me back your story." So. I would say meeting our audience where they are for the purpose of the research or the purpose of the data collection. That's the first point where we start designing our data collection tool. And once we have that, then we can get to the questions part, thinking what are the questions we are asking and how are we asking them? Why are we asking them? Sometimes one question could be asked in two different ways, like, what are your challenges is one question in setting up this business, for example, what are your challenges? The alternative of that is um, what are the things that makes you successful in your business? And then me trying to find ways where I can join you in making you feel Mm. successful. So there are the two flip side ways of asking the question, same kind of question. So questions come the second part, start with the way audiences, then the questions, then it goes the steps goes back from there. Awesome. I I feel like we could simultaneously talk about this forever, but also want to be mindful of time. And I feel like you've given us so much to like noodle on and think about, but more importantly, take action on. Uh, Any final thoughts or things that we haven't touched upon? Uh, Final thoughts. Well, I would say final thoughts for everybody listening to this podcast episode is data is always going to be scary. No amount of words and no amount of books and no amount of degrees make you feel comfortable to say, I understand everything about data. That's the challenging piece of the real world nuances of when you are trying to implement it. There would always be um, small or big challenges in implementing the ideas you are learning around data. But I would say, despite all those things, even if you can do one little smallest change in the way you are operating with your data right now, depending you recognize what are the things, what are the things you want to change, 
that's a win. You don't have to have 100 things to get 100 on 100. It could be one thing today, and that's also okay. It's really about the journey. It's never about the outcome. Amazing. Mina, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Where can our listeners connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is my place. You can find me by my name, Mina Das. I, my business email address, my business address is Namaste Data. So namastedata.org, literally N-A-M-A-S-T-E-D-A-T-A dot O-R-G. That's my website. And then I have my email address, which is pretty long. So I'll send it to you um, so you can include it, Cindy. Amazing. We'll definitely include that in the show notes. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. And to our listeners, Thank you all for tuning in. And uh, I love Mina's advice. Just take it one step at a time. And uh, I know you can do this. We'll see you next time. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman. And this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.